I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 811. I also invite you to grab what I hope you have in your bulletin, a green sheet, um, a bit of an outline or, or handout for our message today. And if you don't have that, we do have more on that back table. They might be stuck in other bulletins, but please do help yourself to that. Um, our sermon passage today will be Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us also about how one is to live as one who trusts in him and in the one who sent him. And in our passage this morning, Christ speaks to us specifically about worry. You know, we can come up with any number of things to worry about. There are many legitimate concerns in life. But in our passage today, Jesus connects worry and anxiety to a lack of faith, to a lack of trusting in God's provision. But don't worry about that if you're a worrier. Don't worry that maybe you're worrying too much or maybe you should worry. Maybe we all should worry that we're not worrying enough about enough. I don't know. Um, But in this passage, Jesus gives us the remedy for our worries. Let's look at this passage now so that we can receive that instruction from Jesus that we are so in need of. Again, our passage is Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. This is God's holy, living, and inerrant word. Please give these words the attention that they so richly deserve. Jesus speaks, saying, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow was thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's word for you today. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for your enduring word, your enduring word which leads us into all righteousness. Your enduring word which shows us what it looks like for a man or woman, boy or girl of faith, 
to walk in a manner that honors you, to walk in a manner that trusts in you. Lord, grow our faith more even this very day so that we would worry less and trust more. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our hope and our confidence. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus begins his instruction to us with this word, therefore. And there's this old adage, probably you've heard of it before, that that whenever we come across this word, therefore, in our reading, we should stop and do what? Ask what it's there for. This word connects all that comes after it with that which came before it. So let's think about that a bit. What's come before verse 25 and the appearance of this word, therefore? What what, what have we learned in in Matthew chapter 6? Well, in verse 8, Jesus speaks about how our Father in heaven, the Lord God Almighty, knows what we need. He, He knows what we need, Jesus says, even before we ask for. But still, in spite of that, still, Jesus encourages us, God invites us to ask him for those things anyway. And and Jesus tells us that because of his knowledge, because of his goodness, we can be sure that God will give that which we need. He will give us our daily bread. He will give us forgiveness from sin. He will give us deliverance from evil and temptation from anything and everything that would threaten to do us harm. Jesus tells us in verse 10 that we can be sure that God will accomplish all of his holy purposes in heaven and on earth and that he will bring his kingdom to bear. Throughout this chapter, Jesus refers to this God who is in heaven as our father. Not just as his father, but also as our father, as your father. Because you have been united with Jesus in faith, what's true about him is now also true about you. And because God the Son is the Son of God the Father and your life is now hidden in his, his father is also now your father. And friends, this is the greatest of all fathers. And he has promised to give good things to his children. Jesus speaks of that in in many places in Scripture. One that comes to mind is, is Luke 11. There, actually when teaching on prayer, Jesus says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good things? How much more will the heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Our Father in heaven cares for us, and He's promised to give us what we need. So it's into that context that Jesus speaks the words of this passage, saying because all of those things are true, 
we then have no need to worry. Verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And again, this ties back to what Jesus has been speaking of previously in this chapter. Again, you might remember that passage that we used as our, um, as our call to, to share generously with the Lord for offering. Immediately prior to this passage, Jesus speaks to his disciples about not laying up treasures on earth, but instead laying up treasures in heaven. In verse 2, Jesus spoke about how we should give to the poor. And, and I wonder, I wonder if Jesus was, was teaching, now we don't have this, God's word does not say this authoritatively, but I wonder if maybe as Jesus was speaking, as he was, was giving his sermon on the mount, I, I wonder if maybe at some point in time, somebody may have raised their hand. And said, but, but teacher, if we do that, if, we give, if I give my money to the poor, if, 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 I, if I give to God's purposes so that his kingdom can advance, if, if, you, if I give the way that you call us to give, how can I be sure that I'll have enough money to provide for my family? Now, again, we don't know that that's what happened. I just wonder if perhaps that, that, that happened or, or, or maybe somebody said, but teacher, you want us to fast, but, but, but don't we need food to eat? Isn't there a danger to our bodies if we, if we don't eat? Now, again, that's just me surmising. We don't know if that's what happened. But what we do know of is that Jesus spoke these words. And to these questions, these questions that may have been asked, or, or perhaps simply they were questions that Jesus knew were on the minds of people who were listening. But to questions like this, maybe even to objections to what Jesus was teaching, Jesus says, in essence, stop. You, 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 you come up with all these reasons not to live in the way in which you're called to live. Stop coming up with those objections. Stop coming up with those reasons. Don't you remember what I've told you about your Father in heaven? That, that He knows what you need? You can trust that He'll be faithful to you. You can trust that He will give all those things that you need. You can trust that he'll be faithful to provide all that you truly need. You can trust him. Therefore, don't be anxious about your life, about what you'll eat, about what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Life, Jesus says, is so much more. So much more than just Food or clothing or, or money. You'll, you'll remember earlier that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke about some of these higher things of life. And Jesus wants his hearers to remember that higher calling that he's given them earlier in his sermon. He wants them to remember his encouragement to show love for God by showing love for others. 
He wants them to remember His calling that He gave to them in the Beatitudes to apply themselves to living rightly as, as kingdom citizens and as representatives on, of God on this earth. He wants them to remember that He's called them to live as the light of the world so that their Father in heaven would be praised. Jesus reminds them and He reminds us that we should concern ourselves with the higher things of life rather than to worry or to be anxious about these lesser things. And to help make his point, Jesus gives an object lesson. Perhaps a flock of of birds just flew overhead. Or perhaps as Jesus was there on the mountainside teaching, perhaps there were birds hopping around on the ground, going from one place to another, um, eating seeds that were there on the ground. Jesus says in verse 26, look at the birds. Look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Here here Jesus employs a device of logic which is called the argument of the lesser to the greater. Job 38 41 tells us that God provides food to the ravens. Psalm 145 says that God opens his hand and he satisfies the desire of every living thing. And that the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. If God cares for the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, we can trust that he cares for us as well. And if he provides them what they need, we can trust that he'll provide us with what we need as well. As that song says, his eye is on the, sha- is on the sparrow, and I know that he watches over me. Jesus then gives another reason for not worrying when he asks in, in verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And of course, none of us can. And in fact, one might argue that not only will worrying not add to your life, but that worrying is bad for your health and may actually even subtract from your life rather than than adding to it. Then Jesus gives another object lesson. Very likely, as he's teaching on the mountainside, there are some flowers nearby. Some wild flowers. And likely he points to these flowers and he says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed or dressed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into a fire, into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Once again, Jesus points to the lower creation to make his point. Again, I wonder if perhaps his listeners may have at some point made some kind of statement or or some action that demonstrated a concern about their appearance. Did they say something or, or do something about clothing, about their appearance? And that's what Jesus is speaking against. 
Again, we don't know for sure, but we do know that Jesus gives us these words. And as he speaks about the beauty of the flowers, he he speaks about how there's this natural beauty to the things of God's creation. That, That there's a beauty, there's a wonder that's found in God's creative handiwork. From the complexity and the delicateness of the eye or or the wings of a dragonfly, for instance. Or the complexity and the detail and the beauty of the petals of a flower. And Jesus says that even with the riches of King Solomon, even riches like that couldn't buy clothes that could compare with the beauty with which God clothes the flowers of the field and the grass. He lavishes such beauty on a flower which may bloom for only a single day a year or maybe just a couple of days. And if God takes that kind of care for a flower or a blade of grass, Jesus is saying to us, don't you understand that God will surely take care of you? Psalm 103 verses 13 through 17 bring a number of the components of what Jesus is talking about here together. Psalm 103, there there the psalmist says, As a father has compassion upon his children, so the Lord has compassion upon those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of a field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place is remembered no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness is with their children's children. Your father in heaven feeds the birds of the air. Will he not also feed you? Your Father in heaven clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow it's gone and thrown into the oven. Will He not much more clothe you? Jesus asked rhetorically. And friends, to not not believe this, to not trust that God will do this for you, Jesus says here demonstrates a lack of faith. And we see that in verse 30 when when Jesus provides that rebuke to us in in our struggle to trust God in all things when he concludes this portion of this passage with the words, O you of little faith. Make no mistake about it, this is a rebuke. Jesus is calling out our lack of faith. He's calling out our lack of trust in him. When we worry, when when we're anxious about the things of this life, that's a demonstration that that we don't have a proper faith and trust in the Lord. When when we worry, when we're anxious, we're, we're showing our cards that we don't think that God is either strong enough or good enough to give us what we need. And that is the sin of unbelief. And is there any greater sin 
But thanks be to God, the Lord knows our weakness. As we're told in Psalm 103, he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. And this same God who who will provide for us is also patient with us and gracious towards us and forgiving towards us. And Jesus' rebuke of, oh, you of little faith, I'd suggest to you that that isn't just a rebuke, but that's also an invitation. It's an invitation to us to trust him and to trust our Father in heaven all the more. And, And think about it, friends, even our ability to do that, even our ability to place faith in Christ, to place faith in the Father, even that He gives to us as a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. We can hope for our ability to trust in the goodness and the provision of the Lord to grow because He gives faith. He grows faith. He makes up for our lack of faith. He gives that faith that we need that Paul speaks of there in Ephesians 2. And then in 2 Timothy 2.13, we're encouraged by these words. That of anyone who is trusting in Jesus Christ, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. We remember also that faithfulness is one of the fruit of the Spirit which the Lord causes to grow in our lives as we live and walk in the power of the Spirit rather than in the flesh. And God gives grace. God gives more grace. And so we can join our heart and our voice to the the man of Mark 9 who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. Trusting in God and training and disciplining ourselves to trust Him is the proper response of faith for those who have been redeemed by Him. And we understand that when we consider Christ's words to us in verse 31. When He says to us, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus is saying to us here in this verse that that only people who don't have God as their Father are right to worry about these lesser things. But the proper response of faith to having the God who is in heaven as one's heavenly Father is to confidently entrust ourselves to his fatherly care, and to his provision. And then in verse 33, Jesus gives us the remedy for our worries. He says, don't be like the Gentiles, don't be like those who don't know God as their father, but you, rather than to worry, rather than to be anxious, you trust God. You first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as you do that, all these things will be added to you. Seeking the kingdom of God is Christ's remedy 
for our preoccupation with lesser things. Lesser things like money or clothing or food. Rather than hoarding up a treasure for ourselves here on earth, Christ calls upon us to store up a treasure in heaven. We're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We're to give that a place of priority in our lives and in our heart and in our minds. It's those, what those verses say that I've been commending to you so frequently, it seems, these past weeks. Do you want to know Christ's remedy for worry? It's Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Don't set your things, your, your mind, your eyes upon lesser things, the things of this earth. But set your minds upon Christ in heaven. It's Hebrews 12 too. Do you want to know Christ's remedy for worry? It's this. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is the remedy for our worrying heart, friends. Christ then concludes his teaching on worry by saying in verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And this almost sounds like he's undoing what he just did, doesn't it? Oh, you think you got worries today? You're gonna have, you, don't, you don't have any idea. You're going to have so many more worries tomorrow. What's Jesus doing? Well, friends, what I think he's doing here is this. When, when he talks about only worry today about today's worries because you're going to have plenty to worry about tomorrow, I think what he's doing there is he's telling us this. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about today. But instead, trust God. Trust God today. Walk with God faithfully today. Don't worry so much about trusting God and not worrying tomorrow. Focus now. Apply yourself now to entrusting yourself to God. And then tomorrow, entrust yourself again, all over again, to this God who is faithful and this God who will provide for you. God gives daily grace. He gives daily bread. Jesus teaches us just a few works, few verses before this passage. He gives daily bread and he gives daily grace. Focus your attention, focus your mind, your hearts, your souls on appropriating God's grace that he gives to you this day. Don't be anxious over what may or may not happen tomorrow, but concentrate on trusting God's grace that he, that he gives you today. Something that relates to us, I think, is something, um, just a, a few words are said about this man. 
One of my favorite people in all of Scripture is a man who we learn about in Genesis 4 and Genesis 5, a man named Enoch. And, and, and there's just one verse that, that speaks of him and, and gives us an idea of, of what type of person Enoch was. When in Genesis 5, we're told that Enoch walked with God. I love that. Those words just, just capture my heart. He walked with God. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? That Cindy walked with God. That Bob walked with God. Wouldn't that be a great epitaph for our, for our tombstone? Here lies one who walked with God. Here lies one who trusted in God. Not just for the things of this life, but for the life that God offers in the future. For eternal life. I once was talking to a friend about this concept of Enoch and walking with God, walking with God faithfully for a lifetime. And that friend made a great suggestion to me. That friend was my friend Phil Eppard, Amy, who God used in such such uh, important ways in my life in so many different ways. And this friend, Phil, suggested, and I agree with him, that, you know, Daryl, if you want to walk with God faithfully for a lifetime, that's a daily decision. If you want to walk with God, if you want to have any hope of walking with God faithfully for a lifetime, focus your mind, your heart, your soul, your effort upon walking with him faithfully today. Do that today, then do it again tomorrow, then ask for his help to enable you to do it the day after that. And that, friends, is what Jesus is telling us here. Trust God. Don't worry. Don't worry about those cares for today. Don't worry about those cares for tomorrow. But instead, trust. Trust God. Trust God for today. Trust God for tomorrow. Jesus wants us to know his remedy, his remedy for worries is to choose faith over fear, to choose trust over trepidation. And now I want to encourage us, let's remind ourselves of why we can do this. I've got printed out in your bulletins the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer for question number one. Let's turn to that. And let's remind ourselves. Let's also, as we say this, we're encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ that there's good reason for them too to entrust themselves to the Lord. So Christian, I ask you, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. 
Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. He makes us wholeheartedly able to live for him. But friends, that doesn't come of our own strength, but that comes out of that which he provides for us. And one of the ways that the Lord makes us to be able to do that, one of the ways that he makes us to be able to wholeheartedly live for him is through this meal that he's prepared for us today. Through this meal, through this remembrance of his work upon the cross, of his perfect life lived as a substitute for sinners, as his death offered up as a payment for our sins. And friends, I want to encourage you, if you ever doubt God's ability or his willingness to provide you with that which you need, just remember this table. Remember the Lord's offering for you. Remember the Lord's provision for you and for sinners everywhere. Please pray with me. Lord God, help us to trust in you. Help us to trust, God, in your fatherly disposition towards us. Help us to trust your goodness. Help us to trust your ability and your willingness to give us that which we need. Give us what we need, Lord, for this day. Give us our daily bread. Give us our daily grace. Give us daily faith, Lord, sufficient for this day. Lord, give us all that we need spiritually. Lord, I ask that you would do that in no small part through through this very meal. Lord, take these common elements of bread and juice and set them apart for your holy purposes so that you might strengthen our faith so that we would worry less and trust more. Lord, do that this day, we pray.